welcome to the Brookie and Burjo podcast and welcome to Darren Burgess. Morning, Brookie. Right, well, we have a an old friend of ours on the uh, on the line today, Burjo. Would you like to introduce him? I'd like to think he might be old, but he's a current friend, I'd like to think. But, um, <laughs> yeah, welcome, uh, Phil Coles. How are you, mate? I'm good, guys. Thanks for having me. No worries, mate. Where, where do we find you right now? Right now, I'm in my hotel room in Los Angeles, mid back to back. We played uh, um, the Lakers last night. Didn't didn't have a great result, so backing up against the Clippers tonight, and hoping that we'll do a little better. Nice. Okay. Excellent. Well, if that sounds like a foreign language to some Australians, uh, it'll become clear when Phil tells us his his story. So, uh, take us through your your journey, Colsey. Um, you know, from uh, from the playing uh, rugby league days uh, way back and then uh, your physio career and, and where it's got to got you to now? Yeah, I mean, the, the playing days won't take too long to sum up. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I grew up around Central Coast, Newcastle areas and, and obviously a, a rugby league fan and, and rugby league was my sport and um, was lucky enough to, to, when I ventured to travel overseas to get to play a little bit in, in Ireland and around the place and enjoyed that part of my life. Um, now, don't be modest, Colty. You're, you're a rugby league international. Tell us how you became a rugby league international. I, I, I became an international by going to a country where they're not very good at the sport. That's essentially <laughs> how I did it, Doc. So, you know, you go to Ireland, rugby league was very much, still is, but back then was very much a fledgling sport. There was some really good people involved in rugby league. Ireland still is. Um, and I, I went over there to work as a, as a physio, um, thinking that, you know, that was where, or which, which was obviously where my career was headed. Um, and yeah, just, just started playing rugby league over there with some, some people I met as a social outlet, really. Um, you know, and it, it led to the opportunity to, to play four internationals for the Irish team, which was, which was good. Had a little bit of success, met a lot of great people. Um, yeah. And yeah, obviously part of life that, that i absolutely loved and, and had a ball had a, a ball in but but I don't uh, by any means put myself up as any type of uh, type of great player <laughs> all right okay so let's keep going on the on the more uh, serious side of your career so yeah look, I, I started off as a physio um, working in Newcastle um, really had a desire to, to work in sport you know given that I that I didn't assume my rugby league career was going to take me around the world playing so um, the desire was always to be a sports physio, and and I moved over to um, England initially because there was opportunities over there to get into sport, and was was lucky enough to uh, pick up work initially with a second team at AFC Bournemouth, who who back then were a, a second division club in, in English football, English soccer, um, and that was you know just as simple as answering a. a job ad and going down and interviewing and, and picked up the, the second team or the reserve physio role. Um, and then that eventually led to a sort of a first team role there and got me established as a physio working within soccer or within football. Um, and that was really, you know, I, I've been lucky enough. That was, I guess, 23 or so years ago. And I've been lucky enough to be, to be virtually full-time in sport ever since then. Um, uh, moved over to Ireland uh, had the opportunity to work in a clinic which managed Irish Olympic athletes, um, and a little bit they did a little bit with the Irish rugby team as well. Uh, and obviously, you know, used my time, I have family there and friends there, and so used my time there to to keep playing a bit of footy. And then 
eventually moved back to Australia uh, through the, the, the contacts, I guess, I had through football in, in Bournemouth, where there'd been a few Australians had been involved in the past, and, and that got me involved with the, the FFA and the national team set up at home while I was working in you know, state league soccer and, and then started working with the national youth teams and Ange Postacoglu. Uh, over the the course of I guess a couple of years, I you know I got to meet up with with you two guys and things progressed and then um, you know eventually after 2006 moved into the the Socceroos role as as the lead physio and from there you know was returned to Europe to be to be based over there uh, trying to help manage our players you know along with along with you guys obviously um, through the 2010 World Cup obviously that led to you know, the, the three of us headed to, you know, the best football club in the world in Liverpool. Um, and, you know, a, a great experience that I'm sure we can we can talk about as a group that, that was, you know, a huge uh, experience probably for all our lives, but, you know, certainly for me, a, a massive experience to go over there and had our first son over there as well. Um, got the opportunity to come back to, Rugby League and 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 the hometown, I guess, came back to Newcastle um, when Wayne Bennett uh, took up the role there, and that was uh, an opportunity for us after having a baby to get back and and the plan was to get back and stay there. Um, obviously, with at the time Nathan Tinkler had bought the the club and the club were financially um, a level above where they typically had been throughout their throughout their journey as a as a club and. And honestly, went back there with the idea that we'd stay there forever. Um, you know, went into more of a, a leadership role, I guess, when I got back there and started broadening into into the performance um, aspect as a whole. You know, rather than rather than purely on the physio side. Um, and as you know, chances go, then an opportunity eventually came up for me to take a a performance director type role in the NBA, and that really came from nothing. To be totally honest, I was I was driving a driving home from training one day and I got a phone call from a guy called Sean Marks, who was the assistant GM with the San Antonio Spurs. Um, I, I didn't know who he was at the time, but, you know, he explained who he was and said they wanted to talk to me and would I be interested to come out and meet them in Texas and talk about a role there. Um, when I got out there and, and sort of the, the puzzle came together, they'd had um, Damien Camoli, who'd been the director of football with, with us, with the three of us at Liverpool had befriended RC Buford, who was a GM at, at San Antonio. And so um, they had a bit of a, a chat about different performance models and what they were looking to create. And I guess, you know, my name had come up somewhere in that conversation. And then Sean Marks, who's actually a Kiwi, um, was well aware of the situation in Australia and, and Wayne Bennett and his um, reputation and his leadership approach. And, and they considered Wayne to be some, somewhat similar to, to Pop, to Greg Popovich as a, as a coach and as a person. So um, they figured that, you know, given that I was working with Wayne and, and you know, we'd had some success together and, and they had recommendations through Liverpool that, that I was a guy they wanted to speak to. And <clears throat> that led, led to me making the move over to basketball and, and into a performance director role. And again, huge life change for us as a family. Um, second baby by this point. And, Living in Texas, learning a new sport, which I really didn't know a lot about, um, in one of the most successful organisations of of the last 20 years in professional sport, sort of anywhere in the world. Um, loved our time there. Uh, eventually, 
uh, I got a call from Graham Arnold, who's, you know, as we all know, is, is um, someone we're all close to, someone who I consider a, a really good friend. When I remember really distinctly getting a call from him just before a game we were about to play in Denver, and um, and my phone rang, and I had that sort of panic where making sure the sound wasn't on because Pot was speaking pre-game. So I'm fumbling through my pocket trying to make sure that the phone doesn't ring, and I just it's just a vibration, and I saw it was Arnie, which was unusual. So straight after the game, I call him and, and he says, "Listen, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm going to take the national team job again, and and I would love you to think about coming back." Um, and that was, you know, the, the the conversation was pretty short, to be honest. He said, "Look, I know we're not going to be able to match the type of, you know, financially probably what you get over there, but what I can promise you is that I believe in the group that I'm putting together, and I want to do this with with yourself and Clarkie and." What I can promise you is at the end of the journey we take together, we'll look back on it and we'll say that we enjoyed it and we'll say that we did we did our very best. And, you know, I'm, I'm someone who's, who's close to Arnie and, and I thought, you know, this is something I want to be a part of. So we made the move back to Australia, um, back to Newcastle, and which FFA were, were kind enough to, to allow me to do and then sort of just commute down as I needed to, um, you know, to work with Arnie during the week and then obviously travel when, when the team was together. The, again, that was something that the, our, our intention was we'll, we would stay there through at least the World Cup cycle and, and you know, we'd be settle the kids back into school in, in Newcastle. Um, and then the Celtics called, you know, and, and that was another change in life that we weren't expecting. Um, you know, but it, it is a relatively small world in the, in the performance realms and so someone had reached out to me and, and Danny Ainge um, got on the phone and we had a chat about what they were looking to do here at the Celtics and again one of the most iconic and successful sporting franchises in the world you sort of you have to have those conversations if, if they reached out to you and and um, you know went back and spoke to Carly my, my wife and and she was you know champing at the bit to go and do it again and have the adventure and and now we're back here. We're back here living in Boston and back in the NBA lifestyle. And, you know, my dad brought me here. That's a great, uh, it's a great story. I mean, you've, you've really worked with three of the most famous sporting franchises in the world, really, in Liverpool, San Antonio and, and Boston Celtics. Uh, it's a fantastic, uh, fantastic journey. All right, I'll leave, uh, hand you over to Burjo. Mate, it's um, uh, obviously we speak quite regularly uh, in any case, but um, as you may know with this um, podcast we'd like to talk about some of the more conversational things uh, and less technical things i'd love to know what um across the the franchises that you've worked at what's probably the most common um i won't say mistake but sort of area that you think clubs as a whole doesn't get particularly well in our space in, in the performance and 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 medical space what are the areas uh, that you feel you've had to work on most? Look, I think, yeah, there's obviously every every place is unique, so there's always different challenges in different areas. But the, the commonalities for me are, yeah, we get very outcome-based. Yeah, we're in maybe the most outcome-based profession in the world. If you lose games, you know, you're not successful on the pitch or on the court, you know, people lose their jobs. So it's a very outcome-driven business, but good outcomes can mask poor processes and, and vice versa. Bad outcomes can, you know, can 
be a result of things that were not necessarily part of the, you know, that reflect the process. So being overly outcome driven, you know, I think trying to, every place that I've gone into as I've got into more leadership positions, it's been about trying to bring the group back to being process driven. Now, alongside that, you need to, you need to have that level of accountability. Um, again, accountability in high level sport is something that, that varies, you know, because there's, there's a lot of pressure and there's a lot of people who are, you know, clinging on to roles or players that are trying, you know, that the clubs are trying to keep happy or, you know, there's, there's lots of different reasons that people may not be held as accountable as what they should be. Um, so for me, it's a big, you know, a, a lot of it is about let, let's be process driven and then let's be accountable to that process, you know, and, and working with staff to try to get them to be accountable on their own is, you know, is the most successful way to do that. And I think that that's probably the, the two biggest things, not just within the high performance realm, but within the, the franchises as a whole, the, the, the places that have sustained success have, have a few things. You know, they start with talent and if you don't have the talent, you, you can't win, you know, and everyone's, you know, I think that's a, a baseline that everyone's clear of, but, Aside from the talent, you need to have that process-driven approach. You need to have that level of accountability that, that everyone has. And then you need to have a level of trust, a trust between the staff, you know, trust within the group, you know, trust in the coaching staff, and then trust you know, on the, um, amongst the players. And you know, to me, those, those four points, the talent, the process, the accountability, and the trust, that's the keys to sustained success. And, you can look at that franchise wide, or you can bring it down to within the within within the performance department. That's a great point, mate. Um, I guess at two levels to follow on from that. You go into a new club, and there's probably, particularly yourself, going into leadership positions at clubs. Um, there's probably an inherent uh, distrust, or or at least a, a questionable. Um, you know, what's this guy about? What's he going to bring? How did he get that job? All those sorts of things. Um, how do you handle that with the staff? And then the second point, um, uh, we're fortunate in Australia and that you get a lot of instant buy-in from players. Um, how have you handled that at the, at, at the, you know, places like Liverpool and the Spurs and San and, and the Celtics where the buy-in isn't as, as um, immediate? Yeah, I mean, that's the challenge, isn't it? I mean, that's the, the challenge of, of coming into leadership roles. Um, I've always approached it, you know, particularly as I've, you know, as I've got to more senior roles and, and often you, you're sort of given that opportunity. So, listen, do you, which of the staff do you want to keep? You know, where, where do you want to go from here? And, and I've always tried to say, well, let's start with the idea that we want to keep everyone. Let's see if we can get everyone together on the same page. But let's also... You know, understand that we're going to be accountable and if we can't get everyone to the same page then we'll have to bring people in who will get us there um, and I try to meet with each of the staff members individually to start with and say this is the approach I want to take I want to make it work with the group you have here because whatever group you have for, for the pros and cons of each individual member you've got a lot of intellectual property amongst that group you know they understand the players they understand the, the systems that have been in place and what's worked and what hasn't worked so if you can work with that group and build trust within that group within themselves and, and towards you, 
then that's that's one of the keys. I try to, and, and I'm I'm trying to get better at doing this, and I, hopefully I've improved over the time over over the years. But you know, I'm, I'm still trying to improve in the sense of it used to be that you know, I would come in and you know you've got a an idea in your mind of how you want to approach something. And you know you want to impose that idea on where you're going, and I'm trying to become much more flexible in understanding that the approach in each different place will be unique. So now I'm trying to use the skills of the staff better, the the staff of the group that you inherit, and then the group that you build yourself over time to say, yeah, my role as a leader is to let's start with agreeing on what our core values are. What approach do we want to take together as a group? You know, are we going to be super aggressive are we going to be super conservative are we going to you know what what's our core values as a group and let's let's agree this let's not me come in and preach what my core values are let's let's agree this together once we do that my role as leader is to help set frameworks put things in place that can help you guys do your jobs to the best of your ability so let's build these frameworks that can allow you guys to use your skills my job is then to give you feedback on if we're following those frameworks, if we're following those processes that we put in place, and ultimately to then hold you accountable to, to doing that. And I'm trying not to then micromanage the day-to-day skill set that, that other people have, particularly if I'm, you know, now I'm in a in a performance leadership role and we've got, you know, esteemed strength and conditioning coaches. And, and I don't want to tell them how to do their job better um, when they know that better than me on the technical side, but I do want to understand, I do want to put frameworks in place that can help them have success. And I do want to give them ongoing feedback about whether they're achieving what we need to achieve as a group. And I do need to hold them accountable to, to doing that. Um, and I think if you can do that over time, then that naturally builds trust because people see that you're there initially to bring us together. You're there initially to make their job easier. And you'll hopefully make them better by giving that feedback and by giving that accountability. And that then hopefully over time, it, it allows them to build trust in you that you're there to support them, but also with an understanding that you're there to, to push them to a degree to make sure we do the job better and make sure we get the results we want. And, you know, I, I've thought a lot, and I've spoken to different people about the change in your role as you get to a more senior leadership role. And, you know, in some ways you do, a lot less because you're not you know implementing those technical skills day to day but mostly i think a lot more you know and, and that's sort of a distinction that i've made to a few people where i think a lot more about how our approach should be as a group and then how i can get the most out of each of those staff members and then how i can give feedback in an appropriate way and then how is the best way the fairest way to hold people accountable and make sure we move forward as a group um, and I try to be adaptive to the situation, you know, to, to always think about how whatever situation comes up, how can I, you know, considering all the aspects involved, how do we manage this to be, to get the best result for the team? Um, so hopefully using that approach, you build trust, but building trust, it, it takes time. You know, it takes time. People need to see that you're there to, to do those things. I think I try to be very clear with people about this is the approach I want to take, you know, in terms of, Allow, I'm not going to micromanage your day-to-day -day work, but we're going to have a framework that we all agree upon. You're going to get feedback at different points, and you can, you know, that can be a two-way street. You know, 
if we're not getting what we get done, what we need to get done, we're all going to be held accountable to that. Um, and that's from a staff perspective how I try to to build that. But there's no there's no shortcuts around building trust. It takes time. With well, the playing one is is different again. I think you know when you're talking about you know the NRL or AFL or or football even there's a there's an inherent team first mentality, um, which will mean that players will often you know buy in straight away because that's what's expected and and required and that's the culture within the sport. You know with something like the NBA it's a little different. There's there's more movement of players. There's more individual basis to success because you know one key player coming into an NBA team changes the whole thing. So there is more individuality and and how I try to handle that sort of relationship is essentially by sitting with, with key players and, and having that conversation that starts off with saying, listen, there's going to be a lot of people in your realm, in your life that tell you what you want to hear because a lot of people are making a lot of money and, and getting a lot of benefit from your talent. Now, my role is not to tell you what you want to hear. My role is to tell you what I think is best for you because what is best for you ultimately is going to be best for our team. Now, you know, I'm not going to, you don't have to agree with everything I say. And ultimately, you know, in the NBA, it's going to be your, your decision with certain things. So we're not going to enforce anything on on you as a senior player, as a key player in our team. Um, you know, we're going to allow you to to have a fair amount of control of your process. Um, but I'm not going to change my recommendations based on what I think you want to hear. I'm going to keep giving you what I think you need to hear, and then you'll come back to me with 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 what you're prepared or or want to do the way you want to go about it, and then we'll work together to figure out the the best way for the team. Um, and I think that's been relatively successful. You know, one of my, one of the favorite pieces of feedback I've ever had from a player was a guy, and I won't name the specific player, but he was a, you know, he was an all-star, uh, had just moved teams, um, was a, he's a really good guy, nice guy, but very set in his ways on how he wanted to do things. And, and I had this conversation with him. He said, that's fine. You can, you can tell me whatever you want and I'll do whatever I want and we'll, we'll go ahead from there. Um, and we built a relationship by working together over a couple of years and he was he was pretty good in terms of coming along the path that we thought was was best but there were certain times when you know he did things you know differently or did did things his own way and and that was fine we were, we were all managed but anyway after I'd, I'd left and i was back in australia and and he, he you know we just kept in touch and he, he sent me a random message you know, something along the lines of, you know, oh, I miss you. You know, what do you want? Do you want to come back? And and I sort of, you know, jokingly said, look, I, there's no way I could come back and deal with you again. I've, I've moved on. And, and his reply was, you know, even though you were nearly always wrong, I appreciated you trying to uh, tell me what you wanted. So, um, and that was one of my favorite pieces of uh, feedback because I'm like, at least he, you know, he knew that I was trying to do what I thought was right for him. And he bought into things he didn't necessarily want to do because he had that trust. Um, but you know, that's uh, yeah, that's that's the way I try to approach it with those with those guys, and you know, to, to varying levels of of success. Does it frustrate you when they when they don't do what you you know? Because as you say, we're used to that environment in in Australia in particular of basically you know players doing pretty much what we we tell them to do uh, or you know suggest they do. Uh, when they don't, do you get angry or frustrated? 
Oh, you get frustrated at times for sure. Um, but you just got to remind yourself that's the, that's the environment that, that you're working. It's a different environment, you know, so there's, there's pros and cons to wh- whichever approach you have. And, you know, one of the things that I always try to do is, is take that empathetic viewpoint of, well, yeah, how is this from their perspective? You know, and, and their perspective is, is different to what, what it is if you're, an, if you're a rugby league player or you're an AFL player. You know, your perspective as an NBA player is different. And that's just the culture of the way that the sport is. So I try to consider it from their perspective. And this is the way they've been used to doing things. Um, and this is their concerns and, and, and you know, their plans for the future. Um, and, and keep that in mind to try to decrease some of the frustration. But of course, you know, there's, there's frustration when you would love things to go a certain way. And you, you have to spend a lot of time trying to manage around that. You know, trying to how how's the best way I can move someone towards this this way we want them to go, as opposed to you know life would be a lot easier if everyone just said yeah okay we'll do it your way, <laughs> um, but you know there, there's often you know there's there's reasons that they've got their approach and their approach has gotten them to where they are now so you, know, you you just have to kind of accept that and and work in that in that paradigm. So when you got to the Spurs, Colsey, there was obviously a very well-known Australian there. There are a couple of Australians there, but uh, obviously Paddy Mills was there. I mean, did that help um, in, in you being accepted by the group, do you think? Absolutely. I mean, Paddy was an absolute legend and you know, still a really close friend to this day. Um, personally and professionally, made our lives a million times easier. You know, Paddy was... When I arrived, you know, Paddy had been through the AIS system as a kid so he was crying out for that type of approach and that was relatively new in san antonio they, they were a little bit more old school in their approach up to that point um so so me coming in and wanting to do things more similar to the way that he'd been brought up from a professional point of view he was 100 percent bought in and, and he's such a positive and and you know egregious character that that na- that naturally brings other people along with him on the professional side because they see him doing it and they see him so pumped and so excited, you know? Um, so that helped us a lot. And then just on a, on a personal sense, he, you know, he took myself and our family in on every holiday, every U S holiday, you know, every Christmas and, and made us part of his family because he knew we were out there sort of on our own and just made life, you know, a million times easier for all of us. And he, I mean, to be honest, he made our experience without him being there. The experience would have been very different, um, again, both personally and professionally. And, you know, I've spent the rest of my time here trying to convince, trying to get him here to Boston, but uh, <laughs> couldn't quite, uh, couldn't quite make it work. No, he's having a great season uh, at uh, at Brooklyn, that's for sure. Colsey, just one more from me. Traditionally, in the in the in all the US sports. Physios have not replayed really a great role. Uh, it's been very much athletic trainers. Um, but uh, as a physio, I mean, uh, is that starting to change, or what, where do you see the role of the of the physio now in the professional sports in uh, in the US? Yeah, it's changing. It's definitely changed in the what well, seven years, I guess, that I've had in US sport. Um, and most of, I mean, all of our staff are dual credentialed. All of our US staff are dual um, physical therapist and athletic trainer credentialed which I think actually is the ideal way forward. You know, the athletic training skill set, it's one we didn't know, we don't know a lot about in Australia. And that was a learning process for me when I first arrived, but it, it's actually a very effective skill set for a lot of things. Um, 
and maybe you know Australians are, are probably a little dismissive of it. I probably was when I first arrived uh, until I really got to understand you know how their skills had differed from physios and how it could be beneficial. Um, but I think there was a missing component in some of US sport, you know, particularly on the rehab planning stuff. You know that, that physios can be good at. Um, so we introduced you know, both in in San Antonio, and I, I would say most NBA teams now have both. Um, and the future within US sports is probably dual credential people, you know, who will study both. Um, and, you know, it's now I don't look at it. If, I'm, if we're trying to employ someone new in the medical department, the, the ideal scenario is someone dual skilled. But I would look at someone of either skill set um, in, a, in a treatment slash rehab role, depending on their, their individual approach and their experience. And I wouldn't be biased necessarily to say, look, I'm only going to employ a, a physio or I'm only going to employ an athletic trainer. I think, um, you know, now I'm at a, the, an understanding position of if I, if I can't get someone who's both, I'll take the person who I think is the best irrelevant of what their, their background was. Speaking of, um, I guess, uh, differences in staff, um, Brookie, you might be able to comment on this as well, because um, Colsey and I have had our differences in the way things are done, uh, coming from a sort of a, you know, Colsey's uh, physio-medical background and, and I guess my um, my better background. Um, <laughs> how, how have you handled the sort of traditional, um, I guess, uh, medical model versus you might say performance model as somebody who's successfully and, and extremely successfully sort of crossed that boundary from the physio, which might be considered um, a medical model versus the, the um, performance load monitoring type model, which, which, um, yeah, which most clubs out here anyway in Australia tend to, tend to use. I will jump in there and say I have been the referee between these two guys at certain <laughs> times uh, when there's been uh, demarcation and disputes, as, as there often is between the, the physios in, in the rehab of players. You know, where does the, the physio's role sort of start and finish and where does the, the performance or fitness sort of uh, strength and conditioning role uh, finish? And that's that's always a challenge in performance groups, Colsey. How do you, how do you handle that? Yeah, I mean, first of all, I would assume, Brookie, you would you'd be happy to go on the record and saying I was right. You know, all those <laughs> no comment. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think as we tried to be very clear on on having a yeah, we we try to be very clear on who's going to take the lead in which different area, but we also try to be very clear on you know the. The saying that we use is individual accountability and group responsibility. And so everyone has to do their job as it's required, but we all will be equally responsible for the outcome. And right now that we've got a superb group who, who work together really well, but it still doesn't mean you don't run into day-to-day, -day, you know, disagreements. Um, and that comes back to the, the, the trust issue that you need to have within a group because you, you need to be able to have those disagreements. You need to have people speak their mind and say what they think. Um, and, and you need to debate that out and then you need to uh, commit and agree to the way forward irrelevant of whether that was you know your personal desired approach or not and, and I think that's one thing that we always manage to do pretty well is you know you can have open discussion but you know you don't you don't take any sort of personal 
disagreement and, and you know, and then you all commit to going whichever way you move forward, you've all got to do that together because we're all going to ultimately be, you know, responsible for the outcome of, for a player. And as I've gotten older and as I've, you know, moved into more, you know, more of an overseeing role, then you, you get more and more understanding of, you know, those lines are, well, well, we try to mark them out to make it easier on a practical sense. Those lines are so blurred, you know, on, on who is in the best position to drive certain things. Um, because the, the skill sets are, are, sig- are more significantly overlapped than what people think. And, you know, I, I think everyone's individual expertise doesn't match up to the group expertise when you when you debate those things out. So, I mean, I don't have a simple answer as to who's re- responsible for what. Uh, you know, our approach is we try to make it clear at the start, but then we try to do everything as a group as much as we can. And, you know, we, tr- we, we have a good level of, of trust in our group that we can have pretty open debate and, and then we can move forward and, and all get on board with whatever program that that, that has. And, but, I mean, that's one of the things that I enjoyed working with, with both of you guys the most is that I felt like everyone, you know, feels like they can have an input and you, you can all have a pretty open and, and passionate discussion about things, but then you're all you're all striving to get the best result and you'll all buy into whatever approach you end up with. And that, that's the key is you all in the end, you're all gonna be held accountable to the result. So you've all got to, you know, you've all got to pitch in and make whichever path you choose, you've all got to be on board to make that work. I think um if you if, if those discussions are lacking, then it's probably a lack of um, passion for the role. You know, and I, I think um, one of the things that uh, is indisputable about about yourself, Phil, is your enthusiasm to make people, whether that's staff or players, better. Um, and and that's probably why at times, and not often, let's be honest, but at times we um we did sort of have a have, have a bit of a robust discussion around it because we were both really keen to get the best result for the players and the team and the franchise and whoever else. Um, so I, I think it's a really good trade. Uh, but as you say, the key is to walk out of that room, maybe take it out on the indoor soccer field at <laughs> Melwood there a few times. But, um, uh, yeah, but, but to leave the room and all go in the one direction. And that's where the real challenge is, I think, in a lot of organisations is is the temptation to um, say to the player, well, you know, I might have gone a different way or, um, you know, the corridor conversations around that are pretty, um, are, are really important, I think. And, and that's where the culture of the, the performance staff is massive. Uh, absolutely. I mean, that's the, it's the little things even that it's the, you know, the kind of rolling of the eyes when someone's working through something that someone else didn't agree with. And it's the little things that really undermine the chance for that, that approach to be successful. And that's the thing you, you, you just can't have in the group. You know, you, you've got to have robust debate because if you don't have that, then people won't feel that they have the chance to have an influence. And if they don't feel that, they're not going to, they're not going to buy in. Um, but at the same time, people have got to understand that, you know, this is a, you're going to get to an approach as a group, which isn't going to be necessarily what you want personally, not, not exactly the way you would do it personally, but you've all got to get on board to doing it. Yeah, one of the interesting parallels, you know, is I sit in all the coaching meetings now and I find it fascinating to, to listen to the, the tactical debate. And, and I still don't know, you know, despite being in the NBA for seven years, I still don't know anything about basketball. But 
I um I listen to these tactical debates every day, and I it's it's really similar to the to what happens within a high performance group. You know, the coaches will look at each team, and you know, there's there's eight different coaches, and there's eight different opinions on the best way to guard LeBron. You know, there's there's eight different opinions on what we should be doing in this game tonight. Um, you know, and a head coach, you know, tries to listen to everyone and, and, you know, tries to get people to rebut each other's thoughts and ideas. And, well, I don't like that for this reason. And, yeah, but if you do that, the, the consequence is this. And um, and they're having exactly those same discussions, but they do a fantastic job of when they walk out of there, the coach presents what the, the scheme is going to be for that night. And they're all in. You know, you don't see coaches sort of walking around to players saying, oh, we, shouldn't have, we should be using a different defensive model for this player or I want to run a different play at this time of the game and um and i think that's a great the way they do it is it's a great model for what we we need to do in a high performance group as well you know you, you need to have those opinions you need to get smart people pushing each other and challenging each other but whichever way you go it you've got to be all in you can't have anyone undermining that you know that system and if you have a, a good process driven approach you know, you, you see it through, you do your best and you, you evaluate the result and you, you say, right, do we go back to that process and see how we can change it next time? And you, and you revisit the debate if you need to. Um, and you do that in a way that's not, you know, I was wrong and this guy was right and you will never do my way again. You, you do it in a, in a, as objectively as possible saying, right, well, in this situation, we debated this, this is where we ended up and this is how it went. So next time, maybe we, we adjust it this way or, you know, and, it comes back to trust and just having the right people together who are, who are willing to do that. Speaking of coaches, uh, Kelsey, as you did, I mean, obviously you've worked with a whole variety of coaches or, or managers, as, as they're called in uh, in football. Um, what what are some of the challenges? Uh, obviously, some of them have been good friends of yours. You mentioned you're good friends with uh, with Graham Arnold. Uh, others, you've you've come in and not not known them at all, uh, as in, you know, the situations at, at Liverpool and, and Spurs and, and Celtics. I mean, uh, what, what are the challenges there? Because obviously you're really the representative of the performance team in, in communicating with, uh, with the coach. And you're, as you said, you're in on all the coaching meetings, you're talking to them all the time. Um, some of them are obviously easier to deal with than others. So tell us some of the challenges you've had with, with coaches and managers. Yeah, that's a, I mean that's a that's a for our role as you know as you would know and Berger would know that's that's one of the keys is what relationship we can build with the the head coach because that affects our ability to you know what that relationship is affects our ability to have success in what we do um, and it's it varies a lot how you approach that varies a lot depending on the relationship you have with the coach you know if you're you know I've known Arnie for you know nearly twenty years and so we're at a, we have a very comfortable relationship where I can sit there and tell him whatever I think and that's you know it's not going to be an issue when I started with with Wayne Bennett when I started with Pop and you don't know them at all you know it's it's more difficult to have those difficult conversations um even more so like even going back to work with Wayne at least I felt like I knew the sport so I had a level that of, of being comfortable you know, I didn't know the sport as well as Wayne Bennett knows the sport but you know I, I felt comfortable in that environment going into to initially work with Pop was, was super tough because he, he first of all, never had exposure to the model that, that we were trying to put in place. Um, and I was coming from outside of basketball, you know, and, and he's the most successful coach in American sports. So, you know, um, it just takes time. And for me, it was about, in that situation, how is, 
how is the best way that I can get him the information that I want to get it? And yeah, it took probably a, a season of trial and error of, well, you know, can we sit down daily and, and have a chat? Do you want a report emailed to you? Do you want something slipped, printed out and put under your desk? You know, do you, do you want to talk on the phone at night, you know, and finding out the, the way that he wanted to receive information was the first key, you know, and we, our relationship, it, it took the best part of a full season, to be honest, to get to a point where I felt I had a good method of communicating with him. And once that communication happens in a way that, that he's comfortable to receive, then your relationship builds over time when, you know, and, and there starts to get more trust in the information that you're passing on. Um, I try to approach that in the sense of, you know, whenever I'm talking to a coach, ultimately everything, in, in my opinion at least, everything is a coaching decision. You know, if you're working in footy, then ultimately it's a footy decision. You know, we have certain knowledge. We have a, you know, a passionate view on how it might be the best way to achieve physical performance, you know, in, in the sport that we're working in. And we want to impart that as best we can. But we have to understand the coach is not just considering that. You know, he's considering the technical side, the tactical side, the, the psychological side and all of the different things. So I tried to make clear to coaches, listen, I'm not I'm not gonna dictate the program. I think this is a you know, this is a basketball decision or this is a footy decision, depending on you know who you who you're talking to. But I'm gonna give you what I think is in, in my opinion, from a physical sense, what's the best way for us to go. Um and then, yeah, the longer you build that relationship, hopefully the, the more they get trust in, in that information you're giving and the more that information you're giving starts to, you know, starts to influence the program. Um, but the, the first, with a new coach, it's it's how do they want to receive that information? You know, um, and I said with Pop, that took time and, and, and then we got there and, and, and had a great relationship. Coming out here to the Celtics was, was different again. You know, Brad had been here as the coach for a number of years. Um, he obviously had the approach he wanted to take, but he was very open-minded um, to to the feedback you know that you get from us. And then it, it's changed again this year with with Emay coming in, and and Emay is someone who I do actually have a long-standing relationship with. He was with me in San Antonio for four years as you know he was an assistant, um, but we're close, and and it's it's become even easier this year because I've gone back to that kind of more familiar relationship with a coach who you know, and you know he's a, a first-time head coach and he's new to the franchise. Um, so that probably helped our relationship as well because he knew that that I was someone he could come to, you know, because we had a, a relationship, a, a long-standing prior relationship, which he didn't have with many other people in the franchise. So, um, but developing that relationship with the coach is is vital to, for the for the success of what we want to do. You know, I don't think we're ever going to be successful if we're trying to impose things on a coach who's not interested or or not trusting in the information or the the ideas that we have. So, you know, I mean, I'm interested in, in Burjo's thoughts on that because, you know, he's obviously done it multiple times. And, you know, how, how do you approach the, the the new coach when you when you come, you know, you're moving to Adelaide, you know, now? And how, how do you approach that relationship with the new coach? Yeah, a bit similar to yourself with the Celtics, actually, in that I had a relationship with Matthew Nix. So, He's the coach of the Crows, and so that was really easy. I had him as a player initially um, with the Swans, and then uh, I was pretty much a shit kicker then. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we, we still had a pretty good relationship. And 
And so that that made it pretty easy. Um, I guess the really hard ones were, were things like going into Arsenal with Arsene Wenger and similar to you and Pop, um, no doubt. And, yeah, one of the, the most rewarding things um, from Arsene. And, and, and it, as you said, it is all about respect. You And you can only do that through actions. You can't do that through words. And for Pop to respect you, I imagine he had to trust that you were there for the right reasons. and. I reckon I had a conversation with Arsene. Uh, I, won't, I won't say exactly when, but um, yeah, he, he did say, uh, look, uh, initially I didn't trust you. I didn't think you were here for the right reasons. Um, but now I know you were um, just through your actions. And I, I wish we had made some more changes some time ago. And, and so that I think you can only do it through trust. And I think your point, by the way, about finding out well, two things. One is it, they're football decisions. They're not physical decisions. Ultimately, it's the head coach's or the manager's decision, and we are there to provide information. And then, really crucially, how you, it's trial and error how to get that information across. And that's exactly what you've done successfully. Um, is and I I was using Google Translate at times when I had a Spanish coach <laughs> and I had a translator. With me all the time uh, for for a small for a short period, um, so yeah, it's just how to get that information across. <clears throat> but but you're not going to always get it right. Like I, I'm getting it wrong constantly in the first couple of weeks here with the Adelaide Crows because they've done it a different way, and that's okay. It's not my way is not better or worse. Their way isn't better or worse. You just find a you know a common ground and and try and communicate that way. Yeah, so that, that's for me is the, the the first point is you know the, of all the different coaches that I've worked with, they're, they're all so different, you know, and and some of them want specific detail and they want you know regimented meeting times and they want to see data, and you know, and some don't. You know, Pop wanted to to wait till there was no one else around and and he used to work out in a in a weight room and and my office was like a glass fishbowl between the weight room and the treatment area and um you said you know between sets on the of bench walk in and plonk himself down in the office and have a two-minute chat and then walk out and do another set and then come back in and have a two-minute chat and that that's the way our relationship developed you know Arnie is you know informal and and you know Arnie is like well when you finish for the night come down and we'll sit in the lounge and chat you know and that's when the most effective communication would happen about the, the, the upcoming planning. Um, yeah, Brad Stevens um, was much more open to, okay, let's let's have a set meeting time and you send me a report and we'll go from there. And, and email is different again. Email is like, right, just every time we have a coaches meeting, I want you there. The first five, 10 minutes of the coaches meeting, you'll have the floor to talk about what the plans are as a group and as, a, as individuals. And then yeah, we'll just feed back to you. If we have to come back to you at different points in the rest of the coaching discussion, we'll we'll come back to you. Um, but they're they're all different, you know. Um, the, the 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 three you know different coaches we had while we were all at Liverpool all wanted information in different ways, you know. So th there's no point trying to enforce the way you want to do it on on one of those guys because if if the information if they're either not receiving it or not understanding it, it's it's useless. You, know, you you have to find what what works for them. One of the things about uh, what you've done, Cole, is, you know, all the jobs you've had involve a lot of travel. Um, you know, with the Socceroos, we'd be away for, you know, 
two, three, four weeks, even longer at times, and, and you were you had to uh, you know relocate to to the UK to look after the players and so on. NBA is is a different again. I mean, you're on the road an awful lot. Um, how how are you coping with that? Yeah, that's the toughest thing, and that was one of the main questions about whether to come back was 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 that lifestyle stuff. But you, part of it is you know. I've, Part of it is that is you know from a everyone's family situation is different. My wife is is um, you know she loves the the um, the adventure of being somewhere different. She's she's extremely independent and and you know she um, she grew up living in all different parts of the world and and for her it's um, it's not a it's not a concern. You know it's it's a, it's probably harder on me to be honest so that, that you know you miss being away from the kids, but. It's different here now because the the schedule means I'm away for short blocks regularly. You know, I'm away now for four days and then I'm home for five days and I'm away for three days. Um, whereas when I was back home, it was, okay, I'm home for three weeks and then I'm away for three weeks. And between those two methods, this one is probably better. You know, I feel I get less, you know, family sick, family homesick with the shorter trips. Um but a lot of that is made easier by by how well Carly copes with it. Um, and then I try to use my time on the road. You know, I, I'm doing an online MBA and, and I'm, you know, we're, we're talking about some different consulting options and, you know, there's trying to use my time effectively when I'm on the road. To, I try to do all of our, our practice planning and things on the road. So when I'm at home, you know, when I'm back in Boston, I can try and be at home with the kids as much as possible. I think um, uh, just on that, um, and probably last question because we've, we've well and truly used up our, our hour here. But um, uh, yeah, we, Kelsey and I are working on a uh, on a um, sort of reciprocal arrangement between the, the Crows and the Celtics, and more 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 specifically the, the high performance department. So um, hopefully by the time this comes out, we've got finalised, which will be great to have Kelsey's input into into how we do things here at the Crows. Um, and everyone here is really excited about that. Um, as a bit of a preview to that, Colsey, if you're coming back tomorrow to do some consulting with a rugby league or an AFL team, given your experiences overseas, what's, um, what's one thing uh, that, that you would bring back uh, that you've learned that you probably didn't know before you went over and saw how it might be a load monitoring thing or it might be an injury rehab Thing. Is there anything in particular that, that you think you would bring back? I don't know about you know, anything in particular in terms of like real specifics because as I think the longer I've been around, the more places I've been, the more I get less regimented, you know, the more I get more pragmatic about how so many different things can help. The, the two things that I've changed, that I've evolved in over time is, is I think an understanding that we can athletes can do a lot more than we ever really ask of them. In general, in general, I think particularly coming from the medical side, we we can be overly conservative, and you know, there's, I've just you know, you you see people can cope with so much more than than what we ask, and sometimes our continual desire to take load off people or to protect them doesn't necessarily help us in our long term goal of of making them more durable. Um, and that's said. It's not a specific thing. It's just a general change in in philosophy over over my over the span of my career. Um, the 
the second thing I would do, any club I went into, it would be about showing me what's the process you have for achieving this result. You know, not, not, not what's the result, not how many injuries did you have last year, not what was X guy's score at the, you know, on a strength test at the start of the year and the end of the year. Show me the process that you put in place to try and improve that and getting people to think about that process rather than, well, don't show me the result. Okay, this guy got 20% stronger. You know, how did you do it? And was it haphazard? Was it luck? Was it, no, you had a very clear plan of how you were going to achieve that. Um, so, yeah, that, that's probably the two things is, is becoming more process-driven and getting people to, to, to be able to lay that out for me. And, you know, moving away from being as, as protective as, as a lot of times the, the medical staff and, and physios want to be. Well, Coles, that's fantastic. And unfortunately, um, look, we'd love to chat all uh, all day, but uh, we have run out of time. Um, we'll leave you in your hotel room in uh, in LA, and uh, good luck against the Clippers. Um, but uh, yeah, thank you very much for for your time. I think uh, anyone listening would really have learned a lot about uh, about the role of, uh, of of the performance manager and a fascinating, you know, insight into the differences between you know different countries and different sports and and uh, and so on. So. Thanks a lot for your time, mate, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up sometime. Good to talk to you guys. Uh, best of luck with everything. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Cheers, Colsey. Thanks, mate. Oh uh-huh.